Cat Disgusted is a show about veterinary nursing. It is not a show about how to cure your sick pet. If your animal is sick, take it to the vet. Don't be a crazy person and use a podcast to cure your puking cat, dog, chinchilla, etc., etc. I think they would tell you the same thing. If they could. Which they can't. Which makes it hard. You know what's up. Take them to the vet. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the best of times and the worst of times in veterinary nursing. What the hell are we doing? Well, it's Chihuahua snapping feral cats flailing all while working with the baddest bitches in the business. I'm your host, Nicole Dickerson, RBT, and this... It's how our week went. Ooh, Lord, it is a dreary ass day in the Bay Area. It's raining. It's gray. It looks like my motherland looks like England, where all my people are from. Uh, which is why my mother ran away from that country into the U.S. to California. But, you know, I mean, I know that California needs it. Uh, the, it's dry as a stale biscuit in California, so I can't really harp on the rain too much. Um, so it's a good day to stay inside and, and uh, do a podcast. You know, the cats haven't really moved off of their beds in 10 plus hours. Uh, Flynn, the auxiliary cat, is sleeping in the garage because we take pity on her uh, when the weather gets like this. Uh, I did, uh, I was Facebook messaging with a good friend of mine who's in vet school in the Caribbean. Uh, I was telling her how awful the weather was as I'm like running around doing errands, trying to like drive to Berkeley in a friggin' downpour. And she's like, oh, really? It's like 80 and sunny in the Caribbean. Happy face. I was like, oh, oh nice for you. Uh, so, But then as I was thinking about her, I, I was thinking about one of my... Um, uh, favorite stories from our time together in the hospital. So I thought as, as an, an honor, in honor of her vet school uh, experience that she's having in the Caribbean, her sunny vet school experience that she's having, I'd retell the story. One of my favorite stories from, uh, from our time together. Now I do have to say, so uh, she's doing a Herculean feat by switching from being a veterinary nurse to a doctor. Uh, it is for, for those of you who don't know the, the profession, uh, as well as some of you who are listening here, um, there are two very, very different levels of education that you need uh, formally to be a nurse versus a doctor. Uh, if you're going to be a, a veterinary medical doctor, you have to go to medical school. And that's many more years of being in, uh, in school after college, uh, just like human medicine. Uh, the schools are notoriously difficult to get in because those programs are kind of impacted. Like UC Davis is ridiculous. You have to have like a grade point average of like 4.9 or something. And that's like the bottom, that's like the bottom of the barrel of like UC Davis applicants right now um, to even be considered to get into that school. So uh, my friend went to St. Kitts because that was where there's a university there called Ross University. Um, you can, it's, it's expensive. I'm if all the schooling is expensive. That's just, that's just a, you, you can't really get away from that. But she uh, got into that school and she's studying her butt off to become a white coat. She's going to be a doctor. So I think it's, I think it's just so awesome that she decided to do that. And she's she's the one who taught me how to run the ventilator in surgery. Uh, she's the one who, who taught me how to put catheters in rabbits. Uh, she, I didn't even know that you could put catheters in guinea pigs. Um, 
but you can, and she does very well. So uh, I figured I, I, I feel like this, this story is to honor our good times together uh, at the hospital uh, that I work at now uh, with her being far off in St. Kitts. But you know, it's on the web. So on the interwebs, we can all, we can all share this experience, even though she's so far away. So uh, the story starts in, uh, in, our, in our ER treatment area. So we had seen this cat for, uh, what was it there for? It's like its initial symptoms were lethargy and not eating which is kind of like the nebulous emergency cat complaint. You know, a lot of times it'll be like hiding, fearful. <laughs> it's like, well, it's a cat. What else is going on? But this cat was genu- was genuinely sick. Like this cat had uh, abnormalities in his blood work. I'm pretty sure it was kidney disease that, we're de- that we were dealing with. I'm pretty sure it was an older cat and older cats tend to kind of go that way dehydrated kidney disease. Um, so what we had to do was, uh, get this cat on IV fluids. I believe it was going to have an ultrasound with internal medicine in the morning. That's kind of standard. Like that's kind of like standard sick kidney cat, uh, protocol for us, you know, like we triage them through emergency, stabilize them overnight, and then to figure out the ins and outs of of the disease and why exactly it's happening and how we're going to best treat it. We're going to shift it to internal medicine for all those details. So this kitty, uh, we had to put an IV catheter in her, get her on her IV fluids. Now, Charlene, this is my friend in, in uh, tech school. I don't, did I say her name before? Charlene, my dear friend, Charlene. Uh, she is, as I mentioned before, she's putting catheters in guinea pigs. So she is excellent at IV catheters. And so she was going to put a catheter in this kitty. Makes perfect sense. Kitty's dehydrated, sick. Charlene's fabulous candidate for that. And my friend, Jen, uh, Jen Gala, who I've also talked about before on this show, was holding the kitty. Uh, Jen Gala is the one who thought that I shit my pants when I was putting in the really difficult catheter. You may remember her from that story. So she's holding this cat for Charlene. Now the cat had had these kind of, uh, I think it had had these little facial tics that had been happening that night, or maybe it was that the owner described described this kind of odd behavior and we hadn't seen it or we hadn't really, we didn't really know what that was about. I think So I think we kind of knew that there was something that was brewing that might've been a neurological thing. So here's Jen holding this kitty for Charlene. And it means that Jen is, is behind the kitty um, holding her little front leg out and holding her face, and Charlene is in front of the kitty uh, with all of her pokey things to put the catheter in. So as they're getting into position, the cat kind of starts to kind of twitch, like its face, me, me. And like the tongue, I like I remember I heard Jen go, oh, uh, uh-oh, and I looked over, and I look, and I remember seeing the cat, like its tongue was kind of coming out, like something was weird was happening and so Charlene and Jen are trying to figure out what this is because it could be a seizure that was the first thing that I think all three of us thought of so of course like you know Charlene and Jen are kind of getting closer to her like you know looking at her and we're saying like hey doc you know there's something going on here there's I don't know what's going on and then uh the doctor from uh from like kind of like afar she was at her desk at her computer she looks and she goes oh she might be, and as soon as she said those words, the cat went, and like seriously vomited the most projectile, <laughs> like beige, liquidy it was. The force at which this vomit shot out of this cat's face, it actually ricocheted off of like the front part of the table in front of the kitty, 
uh, where Charlene was standing kind of bounced in like a, a shallow V formation directly into Charlene. Like it was like splash, splash zone. And of course, Jan Gallo's hanging on to this kitty like, whoa, and I'm going, whoa, and Charlene's like, whoa. <laughs> so she steps back and it was like, it was like, you can't do that on television slime episode. Like she was dripping, <laughs> her scrubs were dripping, <laughs> cats dripping. It was pretty unbelievable. And the cat just kind of like went back to normal. Like that twitching stopped. It's just, it just sat there. <laughs> Probably fairly satisfied with its work. <laughs> oh, oh, man. So, uh. Yeah, so that happens. So that that happens to us veterinary technicians, unfortunately. I know that's not the first barf story I've told. So that's my little my little shout out to my buddy Charlene in vet school. Uh, go on, girl, get that white coat, um, Doctor Charlene. Now, there's another um, there's another excellent uh, kind of veterinary technician folly uh, story that I thought would be a, a good funny haha for the rainy day that we're having. Um, so a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of kind of the the wily ways of veterinary technicians shine when we have to pill animals. Uh, we have to get oral medications into all kinds of critters. Uh, and as you can imagine, not all dogs and cats that are sick in hospital are super stoked about oral medication. Like you, you always want to take the the path of least resistance, right? So if they're gonna eat it in a treat or eat it with food, Awesome. That's the best option ever. But there are medications that you can't give with food or you can give with food, but you can't give with certain kinds of food like dairy, for instance. Uh, there's a medication that's called uh, doxycycline that uh, if you give it with dairy products, it'll actually bind with the calcium. And then it's not going to do its job. So there are times where we have to be able to give uh, pills to animals without without food, uh, which basically means you have to like stick your hand down their throat sometimes. So now when you have uh, when you've got dogs, uh, mo- more than likely, you know, d- dogs they eat things. So that's always that's always a pretty good bet that you can get a dog to at least kind of uh, eat a treat with a pill in it. And one of the things that we use with uh, with treats for pills, there's this uh, this stuff that I know most of you have probably seen pill pockets. Um, pill pockets are pretty great. I mean, I feel like whoever invented that, man, they are probably they're probably sitting in the Caribbean at 80 degrees in the sun right now, because um, those things that product took off like the Dickens. Uh, what we use in the hospital is something called pill wrap, and it's a similar idea. It's kind of like a jar of solid pill pocket. It's basically what it is. You can get like a scoop of this gummy, like play doughy beef flavored stuff and uh, wrap it around whatever tablet or capsule that you have, whatever shape it may be. And then you use that to uh, to give to, to dogs and cats. And it's good because it's a really minimal amount of like food substance stuff that you have to that you have to give them. Uh because it's sometimes ideally they're not be sometimes you'll have animals that are not supposed to be fed but they still have to get oral medications and that's like a minimum amount of food so there was this one dog that uh was a a bit difficult to get pills into and it was in the oxygen cage i remember so we have this cage that's in the hospital that has a plexiglass uh kind of like plexiglass doors and is connected to um 
uh, oxygen tank. And what happens is when you have animals that are in respiratory distress, then you can put them into this cage and turn the oxygen on and you've created this oxygen rich environment uh, for them to live in. They don't have to work as hard to breathe. Uh, we generally run it at around 40% because really hot. If you're, if you have too much percentage of oxygen, that can actually do damage. Um, ask Stevie Wonder. He'll tell you all about it. Uh, that's how we became blind. Maybe that's for another episode. So uh, we have dogs and cats that'll sit in this 40% oxygen environment, if they're in heart failure, if they've got uh, pulmonary fibrosis, uh, if they've got collapsing tracheas, there's a variety, cornucopia of diseases that can compromise your uh, respiratory system. And that's where they hang out. So this, I think this in particular, this little, this little dog is like a little white dog that was a heart patient. There's a lot of little white dogs that are heart patients and uh, heart patients will get pills for life. Um, I have a kitty. Uh, Well, it's Christine's kitty, but now he's mine by marriage, Um, who is in, uh, he he takes heart medication because he was in heart failure for a period of time. I feel like his story too, maybe I'll do that. Next episode will be Stevie Wonder and Jasper. (laughs) That'll take up a whole 45 minutes. I won't tell his whole story now, but he takes heart medications. The two medications that he takes are pretty standard uh, for heart patients. So the first one he takes is uh, the brand name is called Lasix. That's what you'll see. I think human medicine calls furosemide Lasix. But anyway, the generic name for uh, Lasix is furosemide. So it's one that's a diuretic that he takes, which means it pulls the fluid out of the bad spaces in his body. Uh, primarily his lungs is where he, his fluid likes to accumulate. And it uh, pulls it into his bloodstream so that he can filter it through his kidneys and urinate it out. Uh, the other medication that he takes is one that's called enalapril and enalapril is kind of cool. Um, I didn't realize how cool it was until I read this National Geographic story about venom, uh, venom in snakes particularly. So enalapril, what it is, it's, it's called an ACE inhibitor. Uh, it's an angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitor. So what that means is, uh, normally, uh, there's this process in your body where angiotensin, one, and then there's angiotensin two, and then there's an angiotensin converting enzyme. So anyway, short story is all these three things they have to do with blood pressure. Uh, what happens is for in order for angiotensin one to be con- con- uh, converted into angiotensin two, it has to have this enzyme uh, to do that work for it. So what this medication does is that it, 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 inhibits that enzyme. So what it means is your angiotensin one never gets converted to two. And what does two do? Um, it constricts your blood vessels and therefore increases blood pressure, which in a normal person is totally fine. Like that's totally what's supposed to happen. Uh, but if you're in heart failure, what happens is increasing blood pressure in heart failure, that's like way not good. So what the angiotensin uh, converting enzyme inhibits inhibitor does is it uh it stops that enzyme from doing its job so no more no more converting angiotensin no more enzyme for you and what that does is there's less vasoconstriction and therefore a decrease in blood pressure so i know that's kind of like that that's a lot of it's a lot of words about angiotensin but I i think that that process is kind of an interesting thing it's like we've taken we've taken uh like a segment of the puzzle away uh, in order to solve that blood pressure problem. 
Now, the cool thing about this drug that I learned from National Geographic is that it's actually the original, the first drug was called Captopril. And Captopril was isolated from a Brazilian viper's venom. And so they figured out that this snake's venom was killing people because it had this, uh, this crazy enzyme inhibiting property. And so then your blood pressure would just decrease to nothingness. And like, you know, the toxins would just like sweep over your body and you die. But they figured out a way to like take the good parts out of that, uh, the good parts out of that venom and make it into a drug called Captopril, later refined to Enalapril, that is now this drug category called uh, angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitors, ACE inhibitors. So rad, Jasper takes a pill derived, like originally derived from snake venom. That's pretty badass. Anyway, so let's go back to our story about this little dog of the oxygen. So uh, he has to be on these medications for life because he's in heart failure. And uh, one of my good friends, uh, one of my good friends who I work with uh, on a daily basis now was in charge of pilling this dog. Uh, and so what we, he had been notoriously difficult to do this with. And so what we did is we covered the pill in this pill wrap in that like solid pill pocket stuff in hopes that maybe it wouldn't like taste as bad. So then he's not going to spit it out as readily, but he was notorious for spitting it out anyway. Like we'd find the pills later in his cage. Like you'd think that you'd get it in there and then he would cough and out would come all his medications. So, uh, these guys in the oxygen, uh, they also can't really go out on walks, right? So a lot of times if they're like, if they have to pee or if they have to poo, then they have to just do it in the oxygen cage and we'll change it out as soon as we can. And it's just because they literally cannot come out of an oxygen rich environment or they'll go into respiratory distress or they can't walk and they'll go into respiratory distress. <laughs> so here comes my buddy to come uh, pill this dog. So this is my buddy Morgan, who I work with uh, pretty frequently. We, we she, she actually wasn't working at the same hospital as me for a while, but Recently, we've been sharing a lot of our shifts together, and now I feel like so much more fodder for the Cat Disgusted show. Uh, so she has her little pill in the pill wrap, which is this kind of brown, sticky stuff that we wrap the pill in, and we kind of make it a little itty-bitty meatball, so it looks like a little treat, and she goes to pill this dog. And it's, you know, it's a bit of a battle. It's a little bit of a... And you're trying to do it quickly, right, because you don't want to stress out the heart patient. So she gets the pill in there. So she thinks, okay, great. Close the oxygen door. Then a couple minutes go by and she looks in there and she sees this little brown pellet sitting on the freaking floor of the cage. And it's like, God damn that dog. So sure enough. So she's like, oh, fine. so she goes in there, opens the cage door, picks up the, pick, picks up the little brown pellet. And is like, okay, dog, you spat out the pill. Fine. You're going to do this again. And the dog's like, oh, uh, just as hard to pill, right? But of course, because he's small, like, and you know, you're holding his head with one hand and you're trying to get the pill in there. But inevitably, you, your hand is close to the dog's and your face is close to the dog in the hand. And she's like, what's that? That's a weird what's that smell. And she looks and what she's holding in her hand is a piece of shit. <laughs> it's a piece of shit. And so there's a, a moment of revelation about why the dog does not want this thing in its face. And the dog's probably looking at her like, yo, this is my shit. So immediately she's like, oh, oh, God, closes the oxygen door, throws the shit in the trash. 
and then apologizes to the dog. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I see now that I, I got the pill in you the first time. I'm sorry I didn't believe you. I'm sorry I just tried to pill you with your own shit. <laughs> but maybe he was better for his pills after that. I don't know. It's like, oh, you're not going to take your pills, huh? Well, <laughs> take this. Ah, <laughs> oh, oh, that's good. Uh, so now has come the uh, the segment of our show. Now I feel like we've warmed ourselves up a bit to uh, to to talk about another ridiculous thing. Uh, this is a segment that we're going to return to. Uh, one of my favorites. This is called Stupid Breeds. How much is that dog in the window? <laughs> the one with the waggly tail. How much is that dog in the window? I do hope that doggies for sale. I love that song. Um, so the one we're going to talk about, the, uh, the, the stupid breed we're going to talk about is one that a lot of you have seen, uh, but may not know a, a lot about. This is the Sharpay. So the whole impetus of me doing uh, a little education to y'all about the Sharpay was there was this video that went around the interwebs of this gray Sharpay puppy, which of course is ridiculously cute. And it, he's got a strawberry in front of him. Um, I posted on the Cat Disgusted page. He's got this strawberry and he's like trying to eat it or or bite it or something. Something's happening there. Uh, but he can't. He's like kind of just scruffling around and making these ridiculous snorting noises. And then he bumps it with his paw and it's like he it shoots it away from him and he has to like figure out how to go get it. And so my partner Christine was watching this video and she was like, how is that, how is that animal alive? It can't even eat a strawberry. <laughs> it's like, well, right. So uh, hence the... Um, Hence the need that I had to talk about this very, very specific breed and uh, kind of all the problems that come along with it, including its uh, inability to eat strawberries, apparently. So the most recognizable feature of Sharpays are their wrinkles. They are so wrinkly, which make them so cute. Um, they are a really ancient dog breed from China, uh, hence the name Sharpei, which apparently in Cantonese, it roughly translates to sand skin. Cause that coat that you see that like, kind of like prickly fuzzy looking coat is actually really, really rough. In fact, okay. So let's, let's just talk about this coat for a second. So yes, Sharpei's are very cute to look at, but touching a Sharpei is a whole different experience. And so their coat, it's so bristly, it's basically like that fur is basically like needles that inject irritant into veterinary technicians' skin. Um, I'm really susceptible. Like, I feel like I actually get skin rashes from um, really short-haired pit bulls or sometimes mastiffs just because that, sh- that hair is so short and prickly. And I'm kind of just, I don't know, I'm just a sens- sensitive skin person anyway. So sharp haze, I mean, through my scrubs, I'll get this raised rash, you know, like on the insides of my forearms or like, you know, sometimes if you're holding uh, one of those dogs for someone else to draw blood, then that means you're going to like, kind of like hold it between your legs so that so your homie can can hit the jugular vein on the dog to get a good blood sample and like the insides of my thighs and my knees like through my scrubs will get all kinds of like prickly red raised rashness on it awful uh but the wrinkles are the thing that 
they're most known for. That's the most recognizable feature. Uh, the wrinkles are mostly on the face. Um, you'll see that there's some wrinkles that are on the base of their tail and kind of like on their neck, like this saggy turtleneck. They've got this really high set tail that curls over the top of their back. Sometimes it's like a little piggy tail. And they've got these tiny, tiny little scrunched up ears. Uh, they also have one of their one of their signature features, which they share with only one other breed, is that they have this black tongue. Uh, Chow Chow dogs, which is another Chinese breed, they also have this really, really black tongue. And sometimes when you have uh, a mixed breed that's been mixed with either Chow or Sharpay, they've got this black tongue. And uh, we'll talk about the temperament of Sharpays, uh, you know, in a second. But like a lot of times you'll have, because sometimes they're not nice, um, you'll have dogs that will be unpredictably mean or unpredictably aggressive. And then they start panting and you see this black tongue. You're like, oh, right. Um, so, but before we get to that, we'll, we'll talk about the origin of these guys. So they're from, uh, it's called the Guangdong province, which is uh, southeast, it's the southeast part of China. I feel like the way that I kind of, uh, when I was researching this a little bit, like I, I kind of recognized it because that was where there was this really big earthquake that happened a couple years ago was in that province. Uh, these guys were originally used as hunting dogs and the, the prickly coat was actually a bonus because they were used to hunt wild boar and the prickly coat supposedly helped fend off the boar. Like I guess they didn't want to bite them as much because they'd get mouthful of needle needle injecting, you know, it, it, irritant in their mouth. Uh, so they were also used for fighting dogs. And this is kind of an interesting, interesting picture for you. So they made good fighting dogs because they had so much excess skin that the other dog, the opponent could bite the Sharpay. And there was so much skin that even though the other dog was hanging on, the Sharpay could still turn around and bite the opponent back. Because <laughs> it's basically just like wearing an oversized sweater. Um, in the 1970s, there was the introduction of this breed into the U.S. And so there was this businessman who was in Hong Kong. Um, this is during the Cultural Revolution in China, and the breed was actually declining in China. It was Dogs were not a high priority when the Cultural Revolution in China was happening. And so this businessman... He wanted to keep up the breed, and so he actually smuggled about 200 dogs into the United States, and all U.S. Sharpays are derived from these dogs. So you think of, like, all the Sharpays in the U.S. and all the breeders everywhere, just about 200 dogs. I mean, that's I guess that's more than the Pekingese that we talked about. Um, on a previous Stupid Breeds, I think it was less for the Pekingese, but that's a pretty small gene pool, really. So hence, these guys have a lot of problems. Um, the health stuff for Sharpay. So skin problems, shocker, I know. They have a lot of yeast infections that can get between their wrinkles. Uh, remember we talked about the bulldogs, how you have to keep the in between those wrinkle spaces really clean. Same thing with Sharpays. Uh, those little scrunchy little ears, which are so cute, they can get a lot of infections in there. Uh, their skin has a lot of a protein called mucin. And so what mucin does is it gives the wrinkly skin that elasticity, that flexibility. It's kind of like um, sticky and glue-like. It's, it's a little bit like, you know, I feel like it looked a little bit like joint fluid when I've, and I've seen it in uh, Sharpays that have really overproduction of, of mucin on their skin. Uh, it makes laceration repairs on this dog a bitch for the doctors because trying to like sew that skin together and it's all kind of like sticky and weird. Shaving it is also a big pain. Uh, they get 
uh, eye problems. And most of the time what you're dealing with is something called entropion disease uh, and kind of meaning inward. And what it means is their eyelids, because they're so wrinkly and cute, but those wrinkles, they can turn their eyelids inward. Like those wrinkles are going towards their eye, towards their cornea. So then that bristly, horrible needle irritant injecting fur is scraping against their eyes. So that's super bad. Um, there's surgery that you can do to correct it. And that's something that a lot of Sharpays have to have in order to prevent going blind. Um, the biggest one that uh, Sharpays, ha the biggest disease that Sharpays deal with is something called familiar, fa <laughs> something called familial Sharpay fever. Uh, it's sometimes called swollen hawk syndrome. Uh, I have really only seen this once and it was at my old job. It's a genetic disease. Uh, Sharpays get it or dogs that can be mixed with Sharpays get it. And that's when I saw it. Uh, I remember there was a dog that came into emergency at my old job and he kind of was brindly like a pit bull, but had this very uh, kind of bunchy, bunchied up face and these little like arched brows and a black tongue. And so he looked like he was mixed, mixed with Sharpay. And he was there for lethargy and not eating. And he had a really high fever and he had swollen rear limbs. And it was the weirdest thing. And the doctor I was working with, uh, he's one of the one of the old school dudes who like has has been doing this job for longer than I've been alive, and he didn't normally work emergency, but you could just see the light bulb go off in his head. He was like, "Oh my god, this dog has Sharpay fever. He's mixed with Sharpay. He's got this fever. His hocks are all swollen up. My God, that's what this is." And so we treated the dog for Sharpay fever, and he did great. So uh, that was really uh, that was really cool. That was like one of the most acute examples I can think of. Um, the fever can last for days, uh, and like I said, that you know the swollen hock syndrome it, it comes from the fact that their hocks can become really puffy, and that means their rear legs like kind of like where um, our heel would normally be, like our heel kind of ankle area in dogs' rear legs. That's where it gets really swollen. Um, there's another thing that can accompany this, which is called amyloidosis. Now, some of you who are house fans, you hear this word thrown around. I feel like every like third episode or so, one of the doctors will be like, it's amyloidosis. So I actually had looked this up before researching Sharpay's, but what it is, it's protein deposits um, that gather in your liver and your kidneys, and it can cause kidney disease and liver disease. But not all Sharpay fever guys get this. Um, so it's like you can have, like both things can exist independently, but there is a high in incidence of amyloidosis that accompanies the, the Sharpe fever. And with the kidney disease that you get from that, you get the, all the things that come with it. So the vomiting, diarrhea, the lethargy, dehydration, um, azotemia, which means all of your uh, toxins in your blood are building up because your kidneys can't filter them out. So what do we do? Uh, with this with this fever. So what we do is we treat the signs. So IV fluids, uh, anti-inflammatories to bring the fever down, uh, blood or plasma transfusions uh, for, for low albumin and your low red blood cell count. Now those are related directly to your liver and kidneys. So your kidneys um, produce something called erythropoietin. And what that is, is it stimulates red blood cell production in your body. So if your kidneys are going to crap, then you're not making that stimulant to make the, the red blood cells happen. So then your red blood cell count gets really low. So hence the blood transfusion. Now for your liver, your liver is primarily responsible for... Um, making a protein called albumin 
And albumin, if your liver is going to crap, then you're not going to be making your albumin. Your proteins are going to be low. You're going to need plasma. So that's the that's that's why we give both of those things. Now, what joy there is in in treating Sharpace, right, for the veterinary technician. So putting catheters and doing venipuncture in Sharpace can be sucky because it's like you're finding veins under like a prickly wet blanket is basically what it is. So a lot of times you can't see what you're supposed to be going for. Um, It's just a hope and a prayer. Of course, every time you touch them, you're going to get a rash. Uh, so it's it it can be hard. It can be hard. It's a challenge. It's a challenge, as we like to say, um, to hospitalize Sharpays. Now we'll get to their temperament a little bit because that's part of the challenge. Um, unfortunately, they're just they're just generally not nice dogs, and I think it's because a lot of the times. They have to be socialized. They have to be really well socialized from an early age. And I think that the work that goes into that is sometimes neglected by the people that own these dogs. And so they're not all bad, but when they are, it's a bit scary. And the reason why is because they're not primarily vocal dogs. Like a lot of times dogs will give you warning. They're going to growl at you. They're going to like give you big eye and lick their lips. And you're like, ooh, that dog looks sketch balls right there. They don't do that. Um, they just kind of stoically stand there and then they'll bite you. So we call them like the silent biter and chows do the same thing. So it's kind of, that's, that's why veterinary technicians have a big breed prejudice against, uh, not just Sharpays, but also chows is because they don't warn you when they're going to do something, uh, which is the most dangerous. Cause when we don't get a chance to kind of back off and give them space. Um, but there are nice ones out there. We, in fact, you know, we just had this sweet Sharpe. Now I think that this probably was a version of Sharpe fever that we were dealing with. Um, he, he did, he had reportedly historically had been febrile, but then wasn't at home, uh, but came in severely dehydrated. Like I can't even, this is the most dehydrated animal I've ever scene. I mean, his eyes were sunken, those wrinkles. I mean, oh my God, they just like, they basically stood up on their own, like they were Play-Doh. It was unbelievable, severe diarrhea. Um, and, and it'd been going on for weeks. He'd been vomiting, having diarrhea for weeks. And the reason why that was going on was because his kidneys and liver were failing. Now, did he have amyloidosis? I actually don't really know. Um, he responded really well to in-hospital treatment, uh, which means that we put him on IV fluids, and it was amazing. After the freaking cosmic miracle that was getting an IV catheter in this dog, we gave him about, uh, I think we just gave him an entire liter of fluids to start with, and it was amazing. This dog that had been what we call laterally recumbent, like nearly unresponsive, just laying on his side, I saw him pick his head up. I'm like, oh, hey, are you in there? And I look at him, and he looks at me, and he wags that tail. He wags that really high set little piggy tail. I'm like, oh my God, you lived. So it was really sweet. He's like, thank you for saving my life. Um, he went home in about 24 hours, I think, actually. He was an old guy. I mean, I think he was like maybe like 12 or 13, which is old for Sharpay. 
and he uh, his his owner ha- had known that he had health problems and just kind of wanted to buy some more time. So he did go home uh, fa- fairly fairly soon, you know, within within the grand scheme of things, for a dog that came in like unresponsive to going home. I mean, in about twenty four hours, that was pretty freaking great. So I'm glad that I got a little tail wag out of him. You know, makes us glad that we do what we do. Baby, baby, sweet baby. Thank you so much, everyone. You've survived another episode of Cat Disgusted. Uh, it is National Veterinary Technician Appreciation Week. How badass is that, that that exists? Um, so if you know veterinary technicians, give them a freaking high five this week. Uh, they're working hard for your little four-legged friends, and we love to do every minute of it. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, tune in next time. And remember, don't come and see me at work. Good night, everybody.